Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, David Sano, joined, as always, by the Bill, to my Richie, Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? Uh, I'm preparing to lead us into adventure. All right, and our very own Stanley, that's right. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how are you feeling today? Always down the street, never across the road. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the Seahawks backups put one more game onto tape, which led to a 53-man roster cut, but that was all blown to hell when the Seahawks last night traded situational pass rusher Jacob Martin. All right. They trade. They traded cut cut candidate Barkevius Mingo. I was and, excited about you last week. And a likely late third round draft pick for pro three time Pro Bowl defensive end Jadavian Clowney. So we gotta start with that. There's nothing else you can start with. You can't begin the podcast by talking about anything else. You can't talk about the practice squad. Even though we're fucking nerds and we probably would like that. Well we um, will be talking about the practice squad. Uh, but but uh, but no. But we gotta ladies start and gentlemen, we're having dessert before our vegetables okay. today. Jadavian Clowney is well, let's just start with this. A lot of people are like, well, he's not quite as good a pass rusher as Frank Clark. True. But he is a better run defender. He can he can put his hand on the ground or stand up. Um, I, I ended up watching a lot of Clowney film after the trade was done, more than I had before when the rumors were swirling. And um, while I think he does his best work while standing up, the Seahawks defense allows for the flexibility to start your play as a stand-up defensive end sometimes with the uh, the flexible Leo position and I I'm excited to to see to see him work because he's he's incredibly athletic just a destructive arsenal of penetrative pass rush moves and and just run stopping prowess and he swallows guys up he's he's really tall and he just swallows dudes up doesn't miss a lot of tackles just a really talented talented player and um, yeah, he gets to start across a from Ziggy Ansah and adjacent to Al Woods and Puna Ford. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. Eric, what was your reaction just the moment that the news struck? Man, uh, okay, so I wasn't, I kind of got up late, but I really got to my phone late, as we all know how that is. Like, you know, you get up, you get on your phone or on your computer. And I was in our fantasy football thread and somebody wrote like, whoa, we got clowny? To which I immediately just closed that app and started looking things up. Uh, I was really stoked. Uh, on this podcast, we talked about, you know, uh, the chances of us getting clowny. Why would we get rid of Frank Clark to get uh, a, a not as good Frank Clark? And in some ways, that's true. In some ways, it's not. Overall, and we'll get into that. But, man, I'm stoked. I'm stoked that we didn't have to give anything up. We talked about a second rounder and maybe our are a soon-to-be-banished right tackle, um, Jermaine Effetti. I'm, and somehow I'm, we gave up much less than that. Yeah, and we, we, we talked about maybe getting Rashad rid of Rashad Penny, Penny which, is, which is like now... And a second rounder or a third rounder. Now it seems like maybe we could have got Clowney for just Rashad Penny, considering what we gave them. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Seriously. I, mean, it's just, I think that would have been... Insane. I would have liked this haul better. I just... I'm, I'm, uh, I'm blown away by this deal, how easy it was. I kind of feel bad how bad the Texans are getting dumped on well and then they paid seven million for the privilege oh that's it, it keeps getting better for us every day now about the cap implications a lot of people there was the a cap cat there's a cap casualty uh kevin uh jaron brown and there there's news out there that about why we have to clear cap have you heard about this kevin uh yeah it has to do with ziggy Ansa's uh um Per incentive game. laden deal so a lot of guys on our team have per game bonuses ziggy Ansa is the one that has the most and then other guys have similar structure contracts where 
we will have to make sure and this happened to us last year there were points in the season where the seahawks were over the cap because the the per game bonuses were adding up and it led to us losing tom johnson in the middle of the season which some people might say is not significant but it did it did hinder our defensive tackle depth and uh there's another piece to this that's interesting, though, is uh, Jaron Brown was due to make $2.7 million. It was going to be fully guaranteed if he was on the roster uh, for week one. So there is speculation that we might have cut him to re-sign him after week one um, so that it wouldn't be a fully guaranteed contract. It would be a way of manipulating the cap. Very Patriots, that move. Would and be. if that's the move... And then Malik Turner goes to the practice squad or whatever, and Brown comes in. We don't need Jaron Brown. Sorry, get to the preview a little early, but we don't need Jaron Brown to beat Cincinnati. No. We'll which, just put it that way. <laughs> I love JB. We all thought he had a great preseason. We thought he had kind of acquitted himself and made it very clear he was ready to play on the outside for 40 to 60% of the Seahawks snaps. And also some slot. That's yeah. something that I think people underestimated was his ability to yeah. do some nice, solid work out of Which the slot. Which I think the Seahawks, were when they were trying JB in the slot, were really thinking, how can we get three guys on the field at once that could line up anywhere on the field and really screw with opposing defenses? Yep. And I think they had it. I think they had JB, Tyler, and Ursua, and they're like, this is our kind of sneaky package, right? We bring these three guys in, and where will they be? You you figure it out. But now it's – or maybe even, maybe even uh, uh, Gary Jennings – but now, you know, obviously JB won't be there for minimum week one, maybe the whole season. That's a, that's a little sad, but, you know, he'll, he'll blow up somewhere. I'm, I'm excited for him. Now, I want to push back on something that both of you implied, and it's a narrative that we're seeing a lot of, and it has to do with uh, uh, Jadavion Clowney's ability as a pass rusher in comparison to Frank Clark. And there's two things at work here. The first is that Jadavion Clowney came in with the highest expectations. If you are not somebody who's been following the NFL draft for a while, take the expectations that were piled onto Bosa this year and multiply them by five. This is one of the most hyped defensive prospects of the last 20 years to he, come out of college he after he most, literally murdered a guy uh, in a bowl game against Michigan. And he, did he take off his entire senior year or just a lot of it to prepare um, for the, the pros? Because he, he was out for a long time like there, he took himself out of games he was uh he had some like nicks and dings and then he got called out by his coach for the amount of time that he was taking as if he's sandbagging the injury and uh, no. he ended up leaving college on a sour note let me let me let me let me clear something up is that i don't think that frank is a, a, a like 50 times better at pass rushing i think it's more like the difference frank's like a 9 out of 10 and, and Clowney's like an 8 out of 10 you know, it's it's not like a the gulf is huge. I think I the just, overall player Connie's, Connie's not the best pass rusher in the league, and he never will be. But I also don't think Frank Clark is. If you look at their pressure numbers, I realize that Frank Clark's win rate is a little better. Um, I think that uh, the superior run play from Clowney is a difference maker here. The other thing is you're looking at what such the a better- last two seasons we have 127 pressures and. Uh, 17 sacks from Clowney versus um, what was Frank Clark? 125 and, four, and 24. Yeah, exactly. So you're looking at uh, less finished plays from Clowney, but very similar pass rush ability. I think it's kind of end versus edge. 
Like, Clowney isn't any less of a player. He's just different. Whereas and, and, Frank Clark is more of a pure pass rush guy compared to Clowney. Correct. And, and Clowney, the thing is, is that he is a special run defender. Uh, 40, 80, 81 total run stops over the past two seasons compared to, compared to Frank's 53. He, it's, it's, an, it's a disgustingly high number. He was Pro Football Focus's highest rate, rated edge, uh, edge run defender last year. He's just a disgustingly good run defender. And he run defends against really, really good teams. Seven snop, stops last year against Jacksonville in Week 7, a team that really wants to run the ball down your throat. Seven run stops against Philadelphia, another team who really needs to get the run going to be good. I mean, this guy is just a – he tilts the game on a different axis in And you're talking about uh, somebody at 255, 260 pounds who people immediately look at his build and go, can he hold up on the edge against the run? And this is a guy who's a plus-plus run defender. Plays above uh, his even weight. When he's, yeah, exactly. And so as much as I think some people in their frame of mind are going Cliff Averill, uh, Cliff Averill's pass rush productivity was disgusting. 10 out of 10 pass rusher. This guy brings a different package, but he's still an elite uh, edge lineman. Ready? Mike Bennett is a, is a probably a better comparison in, in some ways, just because it's a guy who can kind of do it all. A guy who on the edge of the... You can play him on a hun- You could play him on 100% of snaps, and he's never going to give you a negative just like Mike Bennett. We could have played Mike Bennett every play of every game. Now, we won't because we're the Seahawks and we rotate our defensive linemen quite a bit. But this guy is is able to be on the field every single play of every single game. He's even pretty functional. Like, he's about as functional as, like, uh, Michael Kendricks in coverage. So when we start doing those weird things where, like, if there's three plays a game where we drop him into coverage uh, to be able to bring heavy pressure from the other side of the field or something, like, he can handle that. And he won't embarrass himself. Uh, let's he's talk. been targeted seven times in his career, so he's, he doesn't, hasn't been asked to do it too too much. It's a it's he he basically is like he will an outside that. linebacker that stands up but plays defensive end without his hand on the ground. Now yes. uh, we spoke about this last week. If we get Jadavian Clowney, maybe we will switch to uh, more of a three four look. Where are you at on that belief now, Nathan? Um, just on third downs, I do think that that's a look that you'll see the Seahawks come out with quite a bit or or just only three down linemen and other guys standing up without their hand on the ground another thing that you might see is a lot of flexibility in terms of where guys are coming from you know guys close to the line of scrimmage that they don't expect a guy blitzing from a corner spot um it's they're gonna get they're gonna scheme for pass rush and i think the reason pass rush will be multiple and it is the term another often used another thing about Clowney, i think that people are going to underestimate is this guy came to Seattle because he saw an opportunity to get paid next year. Um, he came in here. He said, I'll come to you guys. I'll play for the tag. But you got to promise, don't give me the tag next year. And the Seahawks said, sure, we promise. And you can't go back on something like that because then every agent in the freaking league is going to blackball Not you. Not to mention we're you, probably going to end up tagging Reed anyway. Yeah, so. you, you, you can't go back on that. So the Seahawks are now locked in. Clowney is not going to be tagged after this year. You guys, anyone who says on Twitter, you know, oh, we could clown t- tag Clowney for next year and we get him back again, they ain't going to do that. You don't make a promise like that to an agent and then go back on it unless you want to burn a ton of goodwill with every agent in the league. So, yeah, we'd have to sign him for big money. But this guy has a legitimate chance to get Khalil Mack money if he plays on a good team and plays well. And the Seahawks provide that opportunity for him. He doesn't get that opportunity with the Dolphins. The Eagles just didn't have the cap room to get to get him, mm-hmm. even though I think that that might have been a preferred trade partner for for Houston because they might have been able to get an offensive lineman back. Yep. But you know we were in a position where we had the cap room, 
and Bill O'Brien is stupid, and they don't have this is <laughs> and they don't have a GM. Appreciate Pete Carroll and John Schneider right now because John Schneider's our our GM, or he's you know he's not he's the president of football version. What they have different titles on our team because like Pete and John are like a squad. They're they they do yeah, the job together. It's the it's the PCJS front office model. But John Schneider yeah. takes care of our front office business, you know. And and Pete in Carroll Houston plus right John now, John Schneider equals one Bill Belichick. In Houston right now, <laughs> uh, they don't have anyone doing that job, and it shows. They got fleeced in this trade. Then they go to Houston or Miami, and they give up two drafts in a row. So they, they give up get, a Ricky Williams package. So they can get Laramie oh. Tunzel, which I understand. And Kenny Stills. Okay, I'm not. They, they, I don't understand this whole thing. Like the Texans really wanted to get a wide receiver. Why? They have three yeah, good have wide three receivers good already. Wide, wide I know receivers. Kiki Kuti's hurt, but you just ride that out while you have Nuck Hopkins and Will Fuller. Like, that's mentioned. You have Will Fuller. You get Kenny Stills, who's like Will Fuller, who gets injured less. So. I felt like this was kind of the dumb trading with the dumb until I realized the Dolphins were like, well, I, this is kind of too sweet to refuse. Might they, as well take it. They double downed on, on the dumb. Uh, another thing I want to say is that even though Clowney has played uh, one extra full uh, one extra season compared to Clark, he has less missed tackles, too. He's a really good tackler. Um, so just get ready for Jadavian Clowney. The experience is going to be great. Yeah, the thing with Jadavian Clowney is that he's not going to wow you every single game. He's going to have a lot of solid games, but he'll have a couple of games every season that he just takes over and is the difference maker. And that's a really valuable thing on a defense. Well, the, way, the way that he swallows up running backs is going to like blow people's minds. You, people are going to get real excited. The first time he gets that negative three-yard rush where he just blows by his dude and swallows the running back alive, it's going to be pretty sweet. Yeah, our front seven in run defense is disgusting right now. When we talked about 2020 being our year because we have so many draft picks and we're going to have extra money under the cap, now we have Jadavian Clowney to look forward to either giving us another awesome draft pick or maybe just more Jadavian Clowney. Yeah, I think odds are that this is going to end up, he's going to end up becoming a third. So we basically. This helps us for a long time either way. So we'll functionally be trading uh, Jacob Martin because I don't really count uh, Mingo. Mingo in this because he was going to get cut anyway. So we're trading Jacob Martin for a one-year rental of Jadavion Clowney, and we're trading a, and it includes basically a pick swap of a third in 2020 for a third in 2021. Yep. Like, that's that's a really good deal for us. Yeah. Because uh, this immediately is the type of trade that bumps us from, like, fringe playoff contender to fringe Super Bowl contender. And that's a big difference. Hey, so... Let's get into the 53-man roster a little. Oh, let's, let's get into the other trade, the trade that got lost, oh. because we traded a conditional seventh-round pick for, for Perry Nickerson. For, for likely starting nickel corner, um, or at least competing with Ugo for those snaps, Perry Nickerson. Um, oh, sure, let's go Perry Nickerson. I tweeted out you know, that this guy's a slot guy. I showed some numbers that support that. But really, we dug into the, the, the combine numbers, which is something I, I always look at when we get a new player to see how they would fit in. And then the I compared his stats in the seasons prior to coming here to uh, Coleman. And I did a little college scouting, so okay. I'll follow up your so, statement. So Nickerson, let's start with this. Um, he ran four three forty. He his his combine numbers are very good. Uh, really, he's better combine numbers than Coleman. Okay, um, he's he's really, he looked really good. I, I watched a little bit of college stuff too, Kevin. So I'm gonna just say he looked really tough, which I liked. And then Nickerson, the other thing that he did is last year his season was much better than either of the Justin Coleman seasons with New England, which makes me think the Seahawks know what they got here. 
They got a guy who can step in right away, play nickel corner, and they can develop into someone maybe truly special. And then hopefully he leaves for $8 million in two years, just like Coleman did. And we gives get, us a third round gives pick. Gives us the third or fourth round pick. Exactly. Uh, yeah. what, what, what did you see on the college tape, Kevin? Uh, so the thing that I noticed, the thing that jumps out to me is that what we get in Nickerson is something that I think we lack in our outside corners, which is really good ball skills. Uh, Nickerson's a guy, he pulled down double-digit interceptions in his career at Tulane. And he's capable of playing the ball in the air. He's capable of playing the ball in zone defense. He strikes me as a guy who can make plays to make interceptions. Yeah, twenty. I read a stat, 28% of the time he was targeted in college, he made a play, either a pass breakup or interception, which is pretty insane. Yeah, which that's again, a, I mean, you're playing nutty. for two lanes, so it's mostly in the queue. So, but nonetheless, that means that you have a good understanding of how to read the ball out of a quarterback's hands and a good ability to understand how to time your jump. I, I thought his body control was really strong and his lateral quickness was good. And he played he played over his size. Every every time he tried to jam a dude, he was able to do so. And yeah, you're right. It's Conference USA competition, but still, a guy that's 5'10", 180, jamming people all the time shouldn't happen at any level unless they're really actually strong yeah exactly nickerson actually strong i'm excited i'm excited nickerson is a it's the sneaky seahawks john schneider trade that he always does right he's a high upside guy if like we basically swapped out jamar taylor for him because i mean conditional seventh are you gonna miss it eric are you gonna miss it Nathan? no and i mean we didn't have a (laughs) remember we traded uh back to get another seventh this year because we like john arsua you can see the seahawks clearly use their seventh round picks for guys that they really like, who have a really ch- a really good chance of making a ball club, and they want to scoop up before someone else does. Yeah, yeah they were their Sua, and they did it here. Six and seventh round, p- six and seventh round picks. I think the Seahawks. Yeah, you're right. They like to use him to get flexibility at the end of drafts to get guys. And the Ursua thing, I read a story the last week that said Ursua. They were talking to him on the phone, like, "Hey, we want to make you our top UDFA guy. We want to get you in here." And Ursua was like, "I got a lot of offers like that." That was a lot, and then, yeah. And then he, and then they said, "Okay." Well, we're gonna make you. A, we're gonna draft you then. And, and Ursula was pumped, obviously, because yeah. you want to get drafted. And so they traded and they traded back up to make sure they got him. And I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you do. You and that breeds loyalty too. I mean, Ursula now is is he's all in, right? He's gonna come out and compete so hard because the Seahawks said we believe in you. We're willing to give up a draft pick next year to come make sure you your name's always gonna be NFL draftee, right? You're, yeah. You always will get to say that, well, and that's and special for the team. It's four years of control for like what a bag of beans. Like yeah. from an NFL perspective, it's nothing. Yeah, Ursua Ursua's been good. Okay. All right. So so let's get it now let's get fifty three. Here we go. Fifty three man roster. I think the biggest surprise came at wide receiver. Uh, Malik Turner will probably be your starting ex wide receiver in week one because Jaron Brown was a cap casualty. And and Decalin Metcalf and David Moore are both battling some injuries here. Now Kevin's mentioned the rumor J B might be coming back after week one. But That's in week a good one, conspiracy theory. In week one, our wide receivers are probably Malik Turner, Tyler Lockett, John Ursua, and Gary Jennings, and Metcalf and Moore. Look, you know, fifty-fifty. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. One of them will play. One of yeah. them won't. And um, we saw Gary Jennings has shown us nothing as far as being ready to play on this roster. No. So you'd be looking at minimal snaps. Yeah, it's going to be resting the other guys. It's not. It's not the the heavy lifting that the other three guys are going to do. Um, this is a little bit of throwing Ursua to the fire. Luckily, it's against Cincinnati, so I don't think it's going to matter too much. We could see a nice little performance out of him. Malik Turner didn't get a ton of targets in the preseason, so I'm hoping Metcalf or Moore is healthy enough to cover that. That way it's like a 50-50 share and not um, 100% Malik Turner all the time. Yeah, the thing with Malik Turner is he was signed 
before last season. So he spent a year on the practice squad. He's been on the team for two preseasons. So he at least understands the scheme. It's just he hasn't been able to show us that he can do much. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of people would be are surprised just, you know, in general about Mo- Malik Turner because he's an undrafted free agent, wasn't invited to the combine, like just did it, didn't, and now here he is, second year, he's going to start an NFL football game. Yeah, well, he That's put a- together a subpar, uh, Field Goals had a really interesting article on this, uh, so shout out to our, our tribal and nemesis. Our, our tribal and nemesis had an article. What, did they unblock us on Twitter yet? Uh, nope. No. So that's why they're still our no. tribal Somewhat nemesis. Somewhat friends of the podcast, too. Who yeah, are they? Who I've, are they really? I've actually been on the, the field goals. <laughs> no. Uh, we have a very schizophrenic relationship with field goals, everybody. But the point being that uh, they had an article talking about the situation. So um, Turner has a really good junior year at Illinois. Which, for those of you who follow college football... Doesn't mean anything, because Illinois sucks. But those of you who don't follow college football, Illinois plays in a good conference and is a really awful team. So So uh, bad. His quarterbacks throwing to him are two guys you haven't heard of, except one of them you kind of heard of, because it's Jeff George Jr. I just want to put that out there. (laughs) Thanks for that, because I'm that that guy who doesn't watch college football. Yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. Um, So He's going to play in the NFL for 14 different teams. All yeah, junior year, though, he hit 712 yards on, like, a, a really trash team. Yep, and then his senior year, he, his yardage numbers dropped in half, and <laughs> then he had a foot injury that made it so he couldn't play in, uh, participate in the combine or his pro day, so all he did was the bench press in his pro day. Hey, Eric, what do you think Jeff George's career completion, Jeff George Jr.'s career completion percentage is over 278 pass attempts at Illinois and Pitt? You know, he's not very good. I'm going to say it's uh, 54. 47.2. Dude, I was going to say 46. I'm like, no one's that low. <laughs> I was going to go it's, under 50 as well. It's so bad. It's wow. so bad. It was not a good error. 11, 11 touchdowns versus 15 interceptions. I don't know why Pitt took him as a graduate transfer, but they did. Okay. Kevin. So, no, that pretty much some Malik Turner. So, okay. he's a guy who was given a shot. He's been in the system. He'll at least know where to go and what to do which I don't feel confident saying about Jennings, but if we're relying on him to catch passes, I'm not totally comfortable with that. Um, so if Moore or DeKalen Metcalf can be back, I'd feel much better. DeKalen, Even if they could DK. take like 20, 25% now, of snaps. I don't know if you guys know this, but I don't know if, did you listen to the episode of Seahawkers that I was on? I made a joke at the end of the podcast. I said, DK Metcalf in a movie about, the, in the movie, The Wolverine. And, and I said, oh, but he can't play The Wolverine. Because he's tall and Wolverine is short. Good joke, right? That's funny. I, I made myself laugh. Uh, Brandon was laughing. But the funny thing is, DK Metcalf now calls himself the Wolverine on Instagram. I'm like, dude, I willed that into being. That's that's a <laughs> you were you reverse willed it. So wait, we we called it. Uh, Seahawks would keep six wide receivers. Uh, sure enough, they did. However, uh, Malik Turner makes the squad Instead and of uh, Brown. JB is off. Unfortunately, <laughs> for at what least you, one week. I guess I was kind of sad. I was looking at it like. There's no way they're going to cut Gary Jennings, but during Game Four, and especially with the Clowney trade, I was like, "Okay, Jennings is gone." What do you guys think about keeping Gary Jennings? He's supposedly this practice maven, 
He's yeah, like, he has the best practice of his life. They've had like multiple practices. They're like Gary Jennings dominated this but, practice, I mean, and I, you got to wonder that story. It's that's like the best shape of your life story. You got to wonder. Which, by the way, Jadavion Clowney reports yeah. are in the best shape of his life. Simeon, Th- Simeon, Simeon Thomas is who's covering him, right? So it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> what do you? I mean, uh, hey, that's practice squad. Simeon Jennings Thomas. is upside. I feel the same way. I feel uh, okay. I feel the same way about this that I feel about the running backs. So I'm going to address at the same time. So, keeping Gary Jennings means you're extremely confident in Lockett, Ursua, Metcalf, and more. You're saying those guys can handle the load. And the, just like, and the hopeful eventual return of JB. Exactly. Uh, just like keeping CJ Procise means you're saying that you feel confident that Travis Homer can handle every role that a running back would be expected to handle in our offense because there's no way we're going in relying on CJ to be our yeah, running back they, three. And they okay. kinda, and they had to know, like, J.D. McKissick's going to get picked up. I think yep. that they, they knew they weren't going to be able to call they him back. They for upside over reliable. Two. And C.J. Procise, yeah, here's the thing we've talked about, and we talked about on this podcast over and over. The problem with C.J. Procise isn't that he's not electric. When he is in the game, he is an electric football player. It's just that he's availability of Chad Pennington's DNA. Availability is a very important part of football. Now, here's the thing. All his injuries are weird soft tissue injuries. It's not like he broke a leg. It's not like he... Torn ACL, Yeah, it's, it's, it's not like... It's just all weird, like, oh, ankle, high ankle sprain, kind of weird stuff. Maybe this is it. Maybe he's finally through the woods. He rehabbed. He's ready to go, and he's going to look great all year. Because I'll be honest, CJ Procise, the idea of him doing thirty percent of our snaps at the level he's been playing in this preseason is relatively exciting. I would be excited to do that. We still have the hammer, Chris Carson. He is a literal Sherman tank who will run over every defense. I'm very excited about that. Rashad Penny is explosive in space, and CJ Procise provides an element, a dynasis. I cannot talk. (laughs) He is dynamic, and that is something that I think these other guys don't always totally provide. Yeah, CJ Procise is a big play in the bottle. Yeah, just Just throw it. Throwing him out there sometimes, and he can run. Crack seal when you need 20. legitimate, Legitimate route runner, too. Uh, yeah. CJ Procise played play some wide receiver at uh, different levels, and he is a legitimate route runner. Um, there's a reason we picked him in the third round. And third round running backs are real fo- NFL football players. Look at all over the league. There's yep. tons of guys who are third round running backs. But he's a legitimate football player. There's someone you should be excited about. And Homer, like Kevin said, he's providing solid, reliable depth. He's the Mike Davis this year. He's the guy we can count on in a pinch. Let's go to the other running back. Oh, wait, there are none. We did not keep a fullback. What I want to say, John Clayton, if you're John Clayton, if you're John Clayton, if you wait, John Clayton, if you're listening, I heard you say Nick Ballor was 100 percent to make this roster so many times on KJR Radio. This this uh, build up this preseason, yeah, 100 percent, 100 percent. Do you know what that means? That means that there's no chance he doesn't make it. Well, I was right. You were wrong. I guess I'm the professor now, Professor Nathan. Let's do it, guys. Let's do it. Yeah. Start start the tra- Twitter in your, hashtag. In your face, Everyone old man. go at John Clayton and say, hey, this guy know, knows more about football than you do. Now, someone, <laughs> um, someone with a Twitter presence. Professor my foot. Okay. Um, uh, we kept the obvious linemen. I think it's the ones that all three of us had on our spreadsheets. Yeah. Hunt Hunt is like the dicey guy. I was between Hunt and Martin just because Martin provides a little more positional flexibility. But Hunt... Hunt okay. I'm going to say this. One thing I love about the Seahawks, and we're going to talk about this, and I'm going to use two players as an example of this, okay, is that the Seahawks have this mantra, always compete. 
And, you know, you could say for a lot of teams that, that if they said that, that would be bullshit because it's always compete unless we gave you a big contract. Always compete unless we spent a high draft pick on you. But with the Seahawks, there's actual meaning behind that. Joey Hunt goes out and does a bunch of little stuff, hustles after fumbles and stuff like that, that makes him a really good backup player for us because in practice, you want those kind of psychopaths to push the other dudes. Defense is the same thing. Brandon Jackson made this team because he went out and won that job from Cassius Marsh. The competition mindset that the Seahawks have is is special, and it's different than other NFL teams. And Brandon Jackson and Joey Hunt are guys that are living that right now. They get they get NFL roster spots on a 53-man roster of a likely playoff team because they go out and they play their ass off. Um, or do you guys have any other offensive line comments other than George Fant is our fourth tight end and also our backup tackle? Um, no, Roos made the practice squad, which we'll get to. I'm glad that he is uh, no longer on this team. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I don't... I mean, he's still technically on the team, Eric. I know. I just... Here's the thing, man. We watched so much Jordan Roos, and he's been so bad, and I don't really see him getting better, and I... I mean, Akansa's on the practice squad, too. Clearly, talent is Inconsa, not what made Yeah, but happen. here's the thing, man. Britt... Britt came from Inkasa roots to be good. I I can see like Inkasa has some some moments where he uh, he seems like a real nice he guy. Gives, hey, he gives I you a full two seconds. How about this? Sometimes he gives you a full two seconds. This? If you just ignore every he's pass, got a good smile. If you ignore every passing play, Inkasa doesn't seem much worse than average. <laughs> if How you about like that, Eric? Fa- yeah, if you if you like falling down though, you might like Jordan Roos. If you don't watch the football game. And you don't have a negative impression <laughs> so, of either of them. Russell uh, Wilson's the, the starting quarterback. They didn't keep a backup quarterback at first, but the rumor mill says Geno Smith's coming back. Uh, and I'm sorry, just, do we have one open spot or not yet? No. Yes. That's the that's the open spot okay. being used for Geno Smith to come uh, back. The other thing real quick on the offensive line is uh, Postage put together a great preseason. If he can live up to what we're seeing then I think this all bodes really well for him as well. He's going to get a chance to show at week one because Eopati's not ready. Uh, And he might just take the job and run with it. And having Eopati as our backup guard is not a bad situation to be in. It might be the best situation for Eopati. Eopati's a freaking grinder, though. I would be excited to get him out there. But in the last five years, he just has not been able to see him. Eopati fullback. Um, Gross. I'm into it. I don't know when the plays what we want a fullback. I'm pretty sure it's going to be Puna Ford. I'm like 99 percent sure it doesn't. Which because they talked about it in press conferences. Your heart's 100 percent. And you know, you know, Pete does this stuff. Pete, <laughs> Pete seeds those ideas out there so you can see them coming. He loves like the. It's he's like a he loves the teaser. He's like the he Riddler. Does, it's like the draft clues that oh, may or may not mean anything. Exactly. He uh, loves teasing us, and his teaser was, you guys know, Puna played a little running back in in a. Uh, in high school, and then so all of us go look up the high school uh, the huddle tape, and yeah, there's Puna Ford running over like five foot eight linebackers <laughs> from from uh, wherever he's. he's well, and then um, the pra- in the press conference, he teased the clowny trade. You know, when they asked him about uh, the pass rush, he was going, "Well, you know, we we're gonna make do with the guys that we have," kind of thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, about that. Well, uh, so with this the is a, to defense, this is a great defensive uh, four four rotation because I think. I, I was surprised we kept Monet over Mater, but I think that that was like a 50-50 shot, right? Yep. And um, yeah. Monet is the cheaper guy, which and may have been the tiebreaker. Monet also, I think, provides better run coverage. Uh, Quentin Jefferson will play inside and outside spelling guys all over the place, and he'll be great. I think Rasheem Green will probably do the same. Q is Q is a is a is a really good football player. He's the kind of guy that you need to fill out a roster. 
Uh, he gives everyone rest. I just love Quentin Jefferson. Do you want my uh, comp on him? Quentin Jefferson? Uh, Big oh, Red. Poor, poor man's Michael Bennett. Red Bryant? <laughs> yeah, Red Bryant's fine. Who is a poor man's Michael Bennett? Uh, he's like a ho- he was like a homeless man's Michael. Okay, uh, Rasheem <laughs> Red Bryant was good against the run, but he barely bad against the pass. Yes, uh, Rasheem Green looks like he's made the step to serviceable NFL player, and hopefully he can continue his development. Good against the run and starting to show something against the pass, which is nice. Well, I'm really interested to see what he can do as a three tech. We'll probably see Brian Brandon Jackson on passing down some a little, and um, LJ Collier if he's healthy. I'm interested to see how they'll use him too because we don't really know. We haven't seen LJ all preseason. What's so really interesting here to me is that our interior defensive line rotation is thin. We kept three true D tackles in Woods, Ford, and Monet. I mean, it shows some confidence in Q in Quentin Jefferson, though. That they, I think, the team considers him a defensive tackle. That's what I'm saying. Is it really shows that we're planning on using probably Jefferson at least, and maybe Green and or Collier in that three tech rotation, which because we're gonna have to put bodies through. That's the way we play it. Hey, you ready for another example of always compete? Austin Calitro's on this team. Yep. Uh, what do you think of Calitro's preseason, Eric? I think he had a really good preseason. Uh, last last year, the joke was uh, driving home with Kevin saying it was after the week one. And I was like, yeah, you guys are talking about Calitro. And I was like, who are you talking about? I, I had no idea who this guy was. And last year, he was on this team. We made fun of him on this podcast. Uh, he did show some some positive growth last year. But he came into this preseason like he really wanted and deserved a spot on this roster. This is a guy that, you know, when we as fans don't see something in a player, we don't see something we like, we have to remember that Pete Carroll and John Schneider, they see something in guys. And sometimes it doesn't work out Amara Darbo. But with Austin Calitro, there's this chance that this guy can actually be moldable and something we can have him do. He's grown into a solid player. Um... With all the shocks on the defensive side of the ball, of, can you believe we cut so and so, but we kept Calitro? Um, I'm I'm happy Calitro made the roster. I don't know how much he's going to be uh, like a memorable, awesome player, but I think he's depth and a rotation guy that uh, I'm I'm happy for him. And as Quan Alexander shows, you don't have to be able to tackle reliably to be a top tier <laughs> linebacker. Oh my so. gosh! Uh, can't wait for Calitro to get eleven million dollars a year. Uh, okay, Calitro seems to know hey, his zone though, and gladly that's, take that third round pick. There's guys who can tackle okay or tackle pretty well, but they completely miss their zone. Calitro knows where he's supposed to be, and I respect that he in my just, defensive players. He just tries to pop the pad sometimes, and it looks really ugly. It, but he was effective in coverage for the most part. He had one bad game, and he really showed that if we have to put him out there, it's not going to be a tire fire. Like, he's he's a, he's a functional linebacker. Okay, Shaquem Griffin uh, made the team. Uh, another Seahawks mantra is special teams are important. Shaquem Griffin was excellent on special teams all preseason, really earned that spot. Um, thought he might get the medical redshirt. They kept talking about his knee injury, so I yep. thought, like, oh, maybe they're going to try. But it turns out they didn't, they didn't need to or whatever. They just decided... Let's get him out there. Uh, Burkirvan had a great end to his preseason. Uh, what did he have, like 11 tackles in the last preseason game? Another person who showed us <laughs> he something unstoppable. He was, he was incredible in the last preseason game, dude. And it, So Burkirvan's going to be excellent. He uh, showed special flashes in game three, too. He's um, a tackler. There's no reason for all the uh, – there were a lot of national hype trains or local <clears throat> uh, field goals who said Burkirvan was not going to make this team. BS. He he earned it on uh, the Cody field. Cody Barton showed us a lot throughout the preseason. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to be excited this about. Linebackers group, this linebackers group the is youths. really talented. Um, and I do think we see might see, if Quim Griffin sees the field on regular defense, I think it'll be 
stand-up defensive end work, Jacob Martin-style stuff. Yeah, I was about to say, he basically gets some of Jacob Martin's stats, Jacob, which I think is the best situation here for him. Uh, the confidence in the regular cornerbacks continued. Uh, Griffin and Flowers are, are starting outside corners. Uh, Kim King, Nico Thorpe, no surprises there. Nico really had a great preseason, and he's the def- he's a special teams captain. Um, the, they love this guy. He, he goes out there and competes really hard, and he's and he has easy, easy. He has the best nickname in the business. Okay, uh, Nickerson can play inside and outside. He's like Coleman. You want him at nickel, but if you have to put him on the outside, he's not going to be lost. I think we see a mix of him and Amadi. Uh, probably more Nickerson than Amadi, unless Nickerson's not up to speed on the on the playbook. Uh, and then Brad and Tedrick will probably start in week one and Blair and Leno will be there to, to spell them and get some snaps as well. A really good safety rotation. I think those four guys are all pretty talented and uh, Tedrick's the safe hand. Marquise is the, obviously the explosive play of the upside. Leno's the, the, the enforcer and Brad is the best. <laughs> How about that? I'm glad sure Leno made this team cause uh, we were kind of unsure about that last week. Mm-hmm. Leno was on the he was on the bubble. I mean, and Luani was playing pretty good in the preseason, and then, and he's also I think Luani's a spe- good special teamer. So you know, I thought Luani had a chance to make the team, but Leno obviously showed them something in practice. Didn't get a ton of snaps in the actual games, but they 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 know what they they know what they have there. The big thing with Hill to me is when we want to use a safety as a linebacker, he seems to be the one that most naturally fits that position. And we saw uh, Johnson used a ton that way in the preseason. So I'm wondering how many packages we have where we're looking for that type of play out of our linebacker. All right, so we have a we have our practice squad set. Other than that, I mean, the specialists are who you expect. We got 69 out there long snapping, and then Dixon and Myers booting those balls. The the um, practice squad, okay. Terry Wright, who I think is pretty good. Uh, Jazz Ferguson, I think an exciting young prospect that really showed um, all the things that he can do and all the things that he cannot do this preseason. Yep. Uh, so a, g- a good person to have as a developmental project, much higher upside than someone like Malik Turner, who we had on our practice squad last year, uh, where Jazz Ferguson could turn into a, a real dude, but needs time, needs seasoning, needs to play uh, and practice. Jacob Hollister ended up on our practice squad, which is exciting because I thought we'd lose him for sure. Uh, good pass catching tight end we can bring in if Ed Dixon is not 100% healthy. Uh, and Kansa, Kevin, no our Kevin has uh, commented um, many times. Jordan Roos, Eric, you have commented many times. Uh, Quill McKenzie and Kyle Fuller, just some uh, some offensive linemen for the practice squad because I think that is a position we're thin at. Uh, not former Bears or current Bears <laughs> cornerback Kyle Fuller. This is a different Kyle Moving Fuller. Moving him to OG. Uh, Simeon Thomas so that uh, Gary Jennings can continue to gain confidence in practice. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Neal, uh, a safety. Not to be confused with Keanu Neal. And then... The surprise of the practice squad. Third round, big. third round, 2019 draftee, Ja'Kai Polite. A guy that we had scouted as a potential Seahawks pick for like maybe the second or third round. Ja- a guy who Eric was dreading us dreading. So Ja'Kai Polite, if you go back to, what, six weeks before the draft? Uh, Five no, weeks? before that. It was pre-combine. Okay. So like late That's January, right. early February, initial mock drafts. Like 20, number 20 overall. Like, he was supposed to go first-round cornerback, and then he had a couple... The end, yeah. Terrible... I'm sorry, a couple terrible... Um, People say that his combine had, interviews are, like, all-time worst. Yeah, he had, like, two situations where... Not a spark guy. Well, he... he What, he yelled at the no, 49ers? He is a, he is a oh, yeah. oh, wait, not he a said, spark guy, because he had a terrible combine, too. Yeah, he said, he said something like, I don't like your questions. Like, he seemed to get kind of offended and, and angry at the people asking him things. This is a guy that I was looking at like, oh man, he's got 
He's got a lot of tools. He's got some pass rush. This could be great. And um, do you know? Here, I wanna, can't wanna, believe he fell to us. Want to hear a thing? He he sat out the first game of the last Florida season that he played mm-hmm. because he failed to meet the Gator standard. Do you know how low of a standard that probably is? <laughs> it's the Florida Gators, dude. It's not. It's not like he was going to Stanford or something like that. He failed to meet the Gator standard. I mean, well, what is? Do you want to know why a third round pick was available for a practice squad the same year they were drafted? Yeah, because he accumulated a, over a hundred thousand dollars in team fines for things like tardiness, being, being late all the time, and laziness in drills. They said that Adam Gase this literally said total head case. He, Adam Gase literally said in an interview, uh, he said that all the defensive ends are doing great except for. <laughs> but, like, he like singled him out like that. But this is a guy so, that let me give it, let me give a couple of things. Okay, one the, the phone call had to go like this. Pete, John Steiner picks up the phone. Okay, he says, "Jakai, you hear what everyone's saying about you, right?" And he's like, "Yeah." You want to come over here to Seattle, be a Seahawk, and prove everyone wrong. I mean, that is exactly what the call went This is like. a classic. It's a classic. Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll's trying to motivate him and get him motivated Reclamation to play Reclamation project. Um, let me say this about his tape, too. Okay? This guy is like a very... You know, we talk about guys like... LJ Collier is a good example of this. Guys who have one move. Yep. Uh, Chakai Polite is the opposite of that. He, like, beats guys in a million different ways. He's, like... But he's, like, Andy Isabella, where he uses moves he doesn't even need. And you're, like, you were slower to the quarterback because you were too busy putting an extra club. But he, like... Yeah, he stacks moves on top of each other. Like, it's really... (laughs) He's really good. Yeah. I'm, like... Like, his tape was really good. Like, I was really, really impressed. But you got to understand, this guy's a total head case. He also might have Uh, four DUIs and end up in uh, a standoff with Bellevue Police. Like, we don't know what's going to happen with this um, guy. From first to third rounder to cut to Seahawks practice. Not a great tackler either. Uh, Had trouble finishing because he's like a, like a kind of like leg drag down bad tackler. Mm -hmm. Uh, Goes, aims for the legs and the feet and doesn't really finish the tackle, upper body, like wrap tackle like he should. Despite uh, having the size to do so. And the athleticism, man. This guy's fast. I, I know he had a bad combine. 484 is not like a, a great time for a guy his size. Uh, but he had, said he had a hamstring injury, and I'm inclined to believe him. I mean, He I also could be a guy who just didn't care. He's also a dude who came on to Florida like as like an interior D lineman. He, he had like a really high weight. His? And then he had a ton of bad weight and was like up around 300 pounds. And then he shaved like all the way down to like 240. And then he put on good weight back up to 260. And that was the year of the combine. So the dude's kind of been all over the map. Physically. He has a pretty gross spin move too. I'm going to just throw that out there. Like if you can go on, his, go on his tape and watch, like watch for the spin move. It's borderline unstoppable. Man, this was... I, a- I think that there's... The upside here is literally we got a pro bowler for nothing. And, and the downside is, guess what? We signed him for nothing and we don't lose anything. Yeah. We didn't spend the draft pick. Never, the Jets did. Never right. sees the field. It's yeah, but there was no the secret that the Seahawks were taking a, a D-end or a D-lineman in the first round or first pick. And I was like, please don't be polite. And uh, now just, I'm I'm more than more than excited well, to we have got him the, on the we practice We got the solid squad. floor, LJ Collier. LJ Collier, is yep. I think, provides a very safe floor. The, the downside of his career is... Solid deep rotational defensive end. Yep. Uh, the up the upside is not super high though. I the don't, upside's Frank Clark. Yeah, the, I don't think LJ Collier could ever be as good as Frank Clark. To be honest, with you. Uh, he's more power based. He doesn't quite have the same quickness and suddenness, but he's got a lot of power. He's and really he does good, have some pass rush but, moves. But then the Shai Polite, the downside is he never does anything. But the upside is really really high. Yeah, like twelve sack guy. It's, tw- it's yeah twelve plus sacks a year. It's Cliff Averill. 
Cliff Averill is the upside of his career with the diverse pass rush yeah. set. But they got to get his head on straight. You know, I, I think what the Seahawks should instantly do is get Cliff in there mentoring this guy. Try to get him to get his head on straight because that's the perfect guy to to really mentor him and get him on the right track. All right, so I've got a completely different question. Okay. Because the other thing is, as you start looking into cap room, even with uh, player incentives and everything, Seattle has a bunch of cap room. Even after we pay out those things, there's still some room left. And that tells me that they're trying to keep flexibility as they move into the offseason, but they also could be trying to keep flexibility in case something becomes available in the season. I'll be honest. I think it's it's uh, it's contract money for someone. It's like, hey, we, if we get to week 11 and and Jaron Reed's playing really good, let's just get that extension done now. Let's just let's make that happen. Let's say it's a rent a player, though, just for this season then. Let's say maybe that's trade the deadline. case. They're saving... Because it looks like they're saving like yeah, six, like a trade deadline, six ish million dollars, seven million dollars. So if we're gonna add, uh, let's say a, pl- a player with maybe not all pro, but maybe Pro Bowl upside, like somebody on a team that realizes they're a little further out of contention, maybe we have to deal a pick for them or something. Uh, where would you like to see a player added? Right. Is it O line? Right is tackle it- or or number one outside X wide receiver? Those are what the two- a, what about cornerback? That is a that is a situation I'll we've be, had to deal with since last year, since we got rid of Sherman. I feel like it's hard for a corner to come into this system and be able to take over that. Soon. Okay. Another thing too is is I I really think that Pete believes in these two guys, and I don't I just don't see them actually doing that. Okay. They had so many opportunities in the draft to address outside corner. Yeah. Um. I mean, look at like uh, Greedy Williams felt super far, and yep. we had the opportunity to take that. That's just hanging out there. That is a guy that would be excellent in our system and they said no we're good we're good with trey we're good with shaquille they they really have a lot of faith in those dudes and i trust pete to develop cornerback talent that's maybe one of the things i trust the most yeah i would tend to agree that's uh there's also the kid from washington that ended up going to arizona that fell and he'd have been a good fit for the type of zone scheme that we run Mm -hmm. um it's just they they have a lot of faith safety uh, byron murphy safety like a really good a really really good uh solid safety. safety Like a free safety would be would be good. I mean, because I think Blair is raw and Tedrick is good, but not great. Boring. I'd be interested if there's an <laughs> offensive guard who has a couple years left on his deal available, somebody who could be the heir apparent to Fluker. Sure, because that's another guy who's for health reasons and stuff we can't necessarily fully rely on. I like right tackle just because. I mean, once you no, don't I'm pick up, once you don't pick up the the fifth year option on a Fetty, that's you're basically saying bye to him. He will be he will be making eight million dollars for like Jacksonville next year or something. All right, do we want to do the quick game preview? Sure. I'll okay, let, can I, I go over something real quick? Yeah, hit it. All right, the Bengals. Uh, AJ Green probably isn't playing. Rodney Anderson retore his ACL. Uh, Darquez Denard is on the pup list. Uh, Cordy Glenn is questionable with a concussion. Drake Kirkpatrick is questionable with uh, shoulder surgery from the offseason. Don't forget rookie, and rookie their tackle Jonah Williams left, also, yep. also hurt. Jonah Williams, their, who should be their starting left tackle, is on the pup list. Um, this is a like seven-win team that is missing half their starters. Yeah, They have so many guys that should... There are so many guys. This is that, not good. They have okay. They have like eight guys that are on their current starters that I think most teams would be like, yeah, that guy's all right. And then it's like a dumpster fire. Like their front four is good. Like Atkins, Hubbard, Dunlap. I'm into that. That's fine. Yep. Their linebackers are not good. Uh, their 
cornerbacks. Drake Kirkpatrick has to be like a thousand years old at this point. Uh, Drake Kirkpatrick is injured. Yeah, great. Well, that that means also he's super injured. old. It makes sense. I mean, that's there's just so 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 much that's that's hard. And the, Pac-Man Jones Jesse finally Bates doesn't a, play for them. Yeah, Dr- Jesse Bates has a chance of stepping up this year, but I mean, Drake Kirkpatrick is actually a good example of the kind of guy like maybe the Seahawks could trade for. But he's probably really expensive. Uh, looking for William Jackson to probably have a bounce back season, but still, you're looking at like how do you feel about B- how do you feel about BW Webb, Kevin? Uh, I try not to. How many teams do you think BW Webb has been on? I looked it up. Oh my goodness! Actually, played games for or rosters? Rosters. Rosters. Let's see. There's 32 teams in the NFL. Uh huh. He's been in the NFL uh, for six years. Yep. I think it's probably like nine, nine teams. It's eight. Yep. He's on the. He's been on the Giants, the Cowboys, the Steelers, the Titans, the the Saints, the Bears, the Browns, and that's in the, the Bengals. Falcons? In the Bengals. Oh, Bengals. Okay. He's on the Bengals right now. Uh, they they made some uh, some last second moves on the waiver wire. They picked up Samaj P. Ryan and Pharaoh Cooper, baby. <laughs> also, go. any any. Uh, you may remember P. Ryan from the Washington uh, Deadskins, and Nathan's calling them now, which I like, and X Seahawk. Practice squad legend, Pharaoh Cooper. If you have ever played for the Buffalo Bills and are not currently playing on an NFL roster, uh, Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati <laughs> you may like very well be a Cincinnati Bengal. <laughs> you have you ever? Right. I'm like worried about them. Like they drew, they drafted Drew Sample in the second round and then listed him third on their tight ends for depth yeah, chart. It's like blocking tight ends. Like, in the why would round. you? Why would you? Pick, oh my gosh, they're so bad. You're building your team for the much way ahead in the future. Future. I feel bad for Zach Jeff Taylor. Driscoll's injured. Like, why would Zach Taylor take this job? Uh, because they offered it to him. But I mean, uh, why? I'm that all the players not on their team. Like, because he once stood next to McVay. I know, that's like how he got the job, too. He's the quarterback's coach that whispered into Goff's ear and made him league average. Above Let's talk about average. the good players they have. They have okay. uh, Geno Atkins is really good, and Carl's Dunn is really good. They're also like 100 years old. They also have Joe Mixon. Sure, Joe Mixon. They have Tyler Eifert. Are you scared of Joe Mixon running behind this offensive line, though? Here's the thing about Cordy Glenn. He's still a guy who could come out in space and do some damage. If Cordy Glenn is your right tackle, you're like... Sweet, that's awesome. Cordy Glenn was supposed to be their starting left guard. If you now, now if you're like if Cordy Glenn is your left tackle, you're like, ooh, it's it's just not. He's he's not. He's he is like, a below average left tackle. Remember that year that uh, um, Willis had to start at left tackle for us. That's, I mean, hmm. the upside of Cordy Glenn is when he plays a different position than left tackle, he's actually pretty good. But the downside is right now he's playing left tackle. So I'm not just have two red tackles. Not it. Not feeling it, dude. I'm not not a big Jordan believer out of Ohio State. Um, Their previous number one pick, Billy Price, isn't even starting for them. That looks like a wasted pick at this point. Uh, Bobby Hart is a right tackle. You might remember him for being awful on the Giants. Um, He is still Bobby Hart. So that's a thing. Uh, Our new and improved front four. Let me put it this way. If our front seven does not dominate this game and we are not able to get a lot of pressure or even they're without, not getting the ball out in like a second Reed, and a half. Even without Reed, even if LJ does not touch the field. Then I'm going to be a little worried. Is uh, Jadavian Clowney going to play? Do we know that for sure? He's supposed to. Okay. He is in the greatest shape of his life. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, you know, they have Eifert. They have Mixon. They have um, Tyler Boyd. Uh, they still have Kevin's favorite quarterback, the Red Rifle. 
Nathan's also favorite player. X, uh, you guys, somebody in this one Texas room, Christian University quarterback. Nathan really wanted Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton years ago before he was a pro, and it makes sense. Well, I mean, okay, yeah. It, it, it was like I a situation. Andy, I wanted Andy Dalton in 2011. Yes. Like when we, I thought he would be like the, a nice guy to bridge. Yeah, when, when he fell to us and we could have had him. I mean, it's, he's, he got picked. For, okay, considering he's a second round quarterback. And considering, considering like that almost every starter and quarterback in the NFL is a first round pick, Andy Dalton has had an excellent career for a it's second It's like Kirk Cousins. It's, you just, he, yeah, the upside is not great. There is a defined ceiling, and it is well below what we have now. But well, and it's it's kind of I wanted like, I I would have loved to have Andy Dalton instead of that fucking Tavares Jackson here. Like that was not <laughs> Andy Dalton is a guy who's going to go down with the ship. Like this guy's never leaving the Bengals. I don't think he's going to go anywhere else and have great success. He will go somewhere else and be a Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't know. I could see him gap. having a Matt Hasselbeck career. You think so? Yep. Just drift around and oh. be like a backup guy. The savior. Out. The savior for. One and a half seasons for some team. Yeah, maybe just prevent someone from starting Matt Painter. Okay, uh, <laughs> right, let's, let's, just, let's just do picks. I'm done. I'm done talking. Okay. To, I don't want to talk about the Bengals anymore. All right, uh, this, it's a home game too. Uh, yep. All right, Seahawks thirty-one, Bengals ten. Eric, I got twenty-seven ten Seahawks. Uh, I'm gonna go with thirty-one thirteen Seahawks. If we don't blow out. Cincinnati, it will it's it will make me reevaluate how I feel about this team as a whole, especially if we don't blow them out and we and it's because we look bad. I don't know. I think that their front four is good. Be, our offensive line might struggle a little. Yeah, we can we can start slow sometimes, especially I don't know, especially recently in recent history, we've started slow. I'm more along the lines of Kevin. If our if our front seven does not have a a tear em up game against this offensive line, then I will be concerned. If we start slow offensively, if it becomes a uh, a twenty to seven affair, it it is what it is. All right. Any final thoughts before we head over to the uh, the Patreon, the Movie Zone, all that all that jazz? Yeah, do it. All right, here we go. So, Seahawks Nest fans, there are many ways to support the podcast. The best way to do so: head over to Patreon.com/slash Seahawks Nest. Uh, for as little as a dollar twenty-four a month, you get access to our bonus episodes during the regular season. First episode already up. And also, you can get into the group chat, hear all of my insane ramblings on uh, in the in the messenger chat, and get all of ex Seahawks Nest member Brett all of his weird uh, filter photos from I don't know. He's, he's so because weird. Brett is a middle aged lady. Brett is a Brett is a living meme, and I love it. Okay, uh, then uh, two more reviews. Uh, if you if you don't have any money, you can head over to iTunes, give us a review. Uh, we have around seventy nine perfect five star reviews. Uh, Stuffy number two, new review, said, uh, you guys can tell these hosts really know football. That's a very nice compliment. Um, said, we have witty jokes, genuinely funny commentary. It's the best podcast I've ever seen. Looks forward to watching it. And I just want to it. know. Oh, he said, he, he said, I look forward to watching it every week, which I want to know. Like, where'd you put the camera in this room, dude? I was going to say, that was one of our plans like, to get a webcam and me yeah, and Kevin put like, the kibosh on that. Yeah, that Kevin, Kevin was like, you can't watch. You can only listen. Okay. And then uh, Algorithm came in. With the uh, these guys really know their stuff. They analyze first thing he listens to every Tuesday, which is crazy because I upload like Tuesday night at nine o'clock. So people are listening like 
that's like dedication to the cause right there, it's dude. Immediacy. I, that's like you got to know your stuff. So we'll you figure know, out if he's listening on Sundays now. Yeah, this is this week. <laughs> this one came out early because we uh we're, we were kind of excited about the Jadavian Clowney trade. I'm not gonna lie, we had to get in the room, record it a little early. Uh, so thank you to all the Patreons. Thank you to Forrest, Richard, James, Chuck Attila, Tom, Lucas, Carrie, Bob, Kieran, Brett, Mike, David, Flocktimus, Keith, Frank, Michelle, Nick, and then our two new patrons. We have two new patrons, and I'm so bad at using this stupid thing that I it's, it's now it's not loading. Uh, here we go. You guys ready? Yeah. They are Matthew and Josh, or Matt Mathan, Mathan, and Joshua. So thank you. You're welcome, guys. Thank the you. Seahawks Nest Podcast. Hope you join the group chat. Hope you enjoy that first uh, the picks episode and our kind of overarching NFL thoughts. Uh, you can find out how much Kevin loves the Bills and hates the 49ers. Well, you already knew that. Okay. Um, <laughs> our movie this week, Secrets. Movie Club. This week, dropping this week, next weekend, It Chapter 2 comes to a theater near you. So we thought we'd talk about It Chapter 1, the 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 movie that precedes this one came out last year took the took the box office by storm making over 700 million dollars worldwide despite a staggering 2 hour and 15 minute runtime for a horror movie uh eric yeah you're a liker of the uh the it so what what did you what did you think of it chapter 1 okay so i read the book when i was a teenager i watched the mini series i believe abc mini series the first It movie. Um, 1990. Yeah, 1990, so I was in junior high or something like that. Um, it's weird because it, they, they released it in November. Like, I feel like you just... Why would... You're a month late on that one, it's ABC. Right. <laughs> get, it, get, your, get your stuff together. Yeah, that was a... Uh, I felt for the time it was good. I haven't watched it recently. You know, I think I watched it a couple years ago. Like, parts of it was like, this may not stand up. The it, aspects of it hold up really good. And, and then aspect, the second half of the movie doesn't. Aspects oh, of it yeah. do not. Tim Curry is... Adult acting is pretty solid in that. One, yeah, too. but it's the very end kind of falls apart. I think the kid acting is pretty solid, too. You know, the Tim, yeah, the, Tim uh, Curry's great. Tim Curry's awesome. Everything. The little kids in, uh, in the original... It doesn't look as good as it. You, you know, you have this vision in your head like of what the special effects look like, and then you see it enacted. And, and it looks like, like a 30-year-old movie? And you're like, oh, yeah. this came out in 1990. I'll yeah. say this. For the, for for the uh, re-release that we're talking about that hit theaters a couple years ago... This room, uh, we kind of like. I, I'm I'm probably the biggest horror fan just because I'll watch the most horror movies in this room. But we're kind of out on newer horror movies because they're all just digital nonsense. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of, jump of jump scares. Uh, nothing's really good about common horror movies, in our opinion. It's either overdose of gore or overdose of jump scares. It was uh, it stuck to the source material, which is always important. It had a fair amount of jump scares, a large dose of creepiness, and it has what I think is a, uh, a, a key for any movie villain, and that is in some ways be very likable. In, in some ways reels you in with their antics, makes you laugh, makes you interested in them in some way. And then turns and shows you how evil they are. Yeah, he's an act. Like it's like the the Pennywise thing is an act. It yes. catches your it catches your attention. And that's what it's supposed to be. I mean, Bill Sarsgaard did a did a fantastic job being a creepy clown uh, when he's uh, when he's uh, I guess you could say seducing Georgie into putting his arm into the sewer. You know, trying to come after his boat at the very beginning of the movie. It's it's really disgustingly creepy, but it entices you. You're just kind of like, is this kid really going to go for it? 
And then if you put yourself in the role of like when I was a six-year-old kid, yeah, I would have felt for that. He's gentle. He's caring. You know as an audience member what's coming. But it's uh, it was pulled off really well. Um, here's here's my thing about this movie, and I think it, it um, what makes this this first it chapter one like so so kind of special is that much like Stranger Things, it captured that feeling of um, summer with when you're a kid, right? Yeah. That 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 innocence, the riding your bikes around town, uh, the that whole kind of like. I'll say just what of, it was like in general of, to be a kid of being it's... of being a kid like back in the day, right? Yeah. Like it captured that nostalgia, that that childlike feeling, and then having that feeling kind of ripped away from you by this horror is, I think, a really effective uh, like means of of giving you terror, right? Like that innocence, that childhood, there the safety of like riding your bike around town is being ripped away from them by by this evil entity right well what always separates great horror from mediocre horror is uh buy-in they give you a reason to care about the bad stuff that's happening And and you're able to identify so strongly with the childhood characters and with the scenario that your buy-in is really intense so when bad stuff starts to happen like they don't have to make it super gory or a super sudden jump scare because you are bought into the terror the character feels. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of evil and hatred coming from the villain from it. Uh, you genuinely are scared for the kids a lot of the time. And I know some little trivia. Uh, I think for at least three of the actors, maybe four, maybe all of them, uh, they hid Bill Skarsgård in makeup for the first scenes together to get their sheer terror. And uh, it shows on camera. It's pretty cool. They captured like a natural look to this movie where it makes it look 80s. You know what I mean? Like they, they, it, it looks and feels like the 80s. And this is why I think the degree of difficulty of the second movie, the second part of this, and maybe why the second part fell flat in the miniseries as well for a lot of people, the degree of difficulty is so high because there's something about that nostalgic feeling you get when they're, you know, riding their bikes around town and all that stuff. And that... And then the horror of that being ripped away that is not going to be there in the second movie, right? They have to approach it from a completely different angle. And it, it's, I think, incredibly difficult. Well, I think one way they might do it is I feel like the actors are bigger this time around. Um, you're going to be able to oh, concentrate. Yeah. they got some bangers. They got, you know, Bill Hader, uh, what, what, James, uh, what's his name? James McAvoy and Jessica Chastain. Like, that's that's those are really, really, really talented Also, actors. I think with the... With the camera work in this movie, you guys aren't big Harry Anderson fans <laughs> from Night Court. Yeah, with the mustache, that was gross. I'll say this: uh, with the camera work, with the locations, not having to rely on just being on location in a creek, they'll probably be able to paint the picture that this really is their first time back to this town um, for most of them, anyway. But those uh, sewers in this in the first movie look so good. Oh, well, they were good. I will say this about it, Chapter One, and this is something that if you if you're into uh, any sort of like film or photography, they really did a great job changing up their tones. They went natural. They went cool. They went warm. Uh, the color palette changes at different times in this movie. And other times it just looks like it's recorded on your iPhone, meaning just like the static tone we see uh, when we're outside, natural light. Uh, they did such a great job. And I think if they stick to that in this movie and they... They make it more electric when it needs to be, kind of like the preview show in the Hall of Mirrors. I think that's where it will succeed. Now, something I will say to back Nathan's point, 
that's interesting and the reason why I always worry about the second half uh, the reason why the second half of the original miniseries was a little weaker is because the end of the book is the weakest part of it I am a big Stephen King fan I really like Stephen King as a writer the thing that Stephen King excels at is telling a story with multiple point of view characters in a way that make you feel attached to those characters and the thing that he's the weakest at is writing endings to his books this is true and that he is also going excels to be at cameos kevin that's exactly <laughs> so, never forget a, a maximum overdrive so there's a quote the director said he was really inspired by from the actual book and said it's a being a kid is learning how to live and being an adult is learning how to die and so i think uh uh, if he can capture those themes, because being an adult is learning how to live. That's that loss of innocence, that coming of age. That's the really theme of the first movie. Being an adult is learning how to die. If he can figure out how to capture that, encapsulate that idea into the second movie, the second movie will be a banger. Like, it will be really good because it will be really about something the same way the first movie is. If it's just a horror movie where the, the, the adults are trying to save more kids from being killed, it'll be fine. It's going to be okay. Yeah. It's, it'll be good, but not. But the, the, there's a lid on how good it will really. Well, be. I say the original was the first half was like a nine, and the second half was like a six, and it's like a seven and a half. I'll yeah. say this: that uh, the earlier reviews of the Bill Hader uh, steals every scene he's in, and uh, maybe even Oscar worthy. We'll see. Um, all right. Do, anything? Any final thoughts about it? Cha- yeah, it chapter I, one or it chapter two? Yeah, that Oscars will never go to horror movies. Um, yeah, I think that one thing they could do to give uh, movies like this uh, more kind of just respect in, in time, because it has really good scoring, really good makeup and costumes, really good uh, filming, like filmography. I think it's just a, it's a really well put together movie at chapter one. And one way you could get that is to create like a genre movie category for movies like this, horror movies, science fiction, things like that. Hey, man, don't forget the, the Oscars are coming up. They realize that they're not relevant anymore. And the people shit on them every year. That's why they expanded Best Picture. Don't be surprised if you see that someday. But but, uh, but don't call it Best Popular Movie, which is what they tried to do last year, so they can give an award to Black Panther. Call it That's Best Missing the Point. Call it Best Genre Film, and then put these kind of movies that are genre films, because. Best picture usually goes to a drama, and I think that that's justifiable in most cases. Because if I really think about like what the best movie I saw in any year is, and I'm not talking about the movie I liked the best; those are two different things. Whenever anyone asks me what my favorite movie is, I say Hard Boiled by John Woo. It's like Snap It Off. That's my favorite movie. I love that movie so much. It is not by any measure the best movie I've ever seen. I like it the best. I would watch it again right now if someone asked me. But it's not the best movie I've ever seen. It's just the one I like the best. Genre films are like that. They're well, not the best movie you see in a year, but it might be the one that you like the best because it's enjoyable for a lot of different reasons that don't have to do with the actual quality of the art. And to flip it, uh, if you ever ask someone what their favorite movie is and they say uh, Schindler's List, you're like, Whoa, I'm going to question serious. them because yeah. that's really intense. That's an intense answer to that but movie. If that's your, if, but if that's your answer to what is the best movie you've ever seen i would be like yeah that was a movie i saw one time never wanted to see again and it was incredible schindler's list is an awesome movie but like when they were like schindler's list anniversary edition coming to a theater i was like who goes to <laughs> no that way they, that was last year they actually did that they did schindler's list anniversary edition in theaters i'm like the person who goes to this is like hardcore compared to me i just could not <laughs> handle that that's why when you ask me and kevin what our favorite movie is you might say men at work you might say weekend at bernie's nathan 
That's your favorite movie? No, no, Remember? I was just waiting for you to sign us off. But it does, those are movies that make us happy. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, It Chapter 2, genre movies, they need their own category. All right, for Eric Ronnebeck, for Kevin Garber, we will see you next week. Go Hawks. Beep, beep.